the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the report of this spread throughout that district. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is a prayer that may be familiar to some of you. It's been prayed for Christians for 16, 1700 years, and it's commonly called the Jesus Prayer. Have mercy on me, a sinner. In roughly the last 40 years, the church, the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Communion, Christianity in general, has wrestled with sin and acknowledging that we are sinners. Particularly in the 1980s and 1990s, those who were training to preach were advised not to talk about sin. It turns people off. It's so depressing. We don't want people to feel bad about themselves. Let's talk about something cheerier, more uplifting. In all honesty, there probably was a need for a bit more of a balance, and that balance is notable, noticeable in the 1979 prayer book. But whether we preach about sin or make use of confession and absolution each week, the reality is that each of us, individually or together as a community, are sinners. How do we understand this reality while knowing ourselves loved by God, loved to death by a God who always offers us mercy, compassion, and forgiveness? Today's reading from Matthew is really two different stories. The first story would have been quite shocking to Jesus's own contemporaries. He greets Matthew, a tax collector, and tells him to follow him. So tax collectors, actually toll collectors might be a better description. They levied taxes on people coming into town and all the goods they were bringing with them. Um, he goes and greets Matthew and tells him to follow him. Here was someone who may have been honest, but had a, a sort of perception of being dishonest of taking more money than the tax collector should have, or being sort of in cahoots with the Roman rulers, and therefore labeled sinners by uh, observant Jews. But while versions of this story are found in other gospels, there's something really unique about this Matthew story already. And as Jesus sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came. This is perhaps maybe one of only two stories in which Jesus is welcoming people into his own house, 
or into the house of a good friend. In other words, he's acting as the host, where through most of the Gospels, Jesus is not the host. He models for us how to be a guest, how to be humble, how to be dependent. So there he is, sitting surrounded by all the wrong people of society, and Jesus responds to the criticism he hears from those who say he's eating with sinners. And he says, those who are well have no need of a physician. It's the sick that I'm here for, not you. I have come not for the righteous, but for sinners. I think we might actually be in the right group this time. The second story is about two women in need of healing. Stories that are also found in Mark and in Luke. The first is a girl, Luke says she's 12 years old, which suggests a girl just on the edge of womanhood. The second is a woman who has bled for 12 years. And make sure you understand that this is menstrual bleeding for 12 straight years. The girl is dying, actually dead when Jesus arrives. And her death has torn apart her family. The mourners have already arrived, signaling the separation of the family from daily life into a formal life of grieving. The woman who has had this 12-year flow of blood is in many ways also dead, dead to her community, ritually unclean, and because of that, alone, isolated, separated, from her family and her life. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The bleeding woman reaches out to touch, already a socially forbidden act, a man she's not related to. She reaches out to touch, and in Matthew's account, she reaches for the fringes of his cloak, a religious element of Jewish men's clothing even today. And she is healed. Jesus proclaims it is her faith that has made her well. The girl is raised by touch. Jesus takes her by the hand and pulls her up, raises her up. In Mark's version, Jesus's words are not translated. They remain in the original Aramaic, halithakum, almost as if the words themselves were some kind of magic. But the common element of all the versions of the story is Jesus touching her. She is healed. The bleeding woman touches Jesus. She is healed. These are extraordinary stories, especially when we think of the historical context, the, the world of social boundaries, societal norms, which have just been shattered again and again. Now, our social rules and understandings are different. And like every gospel teaching of Jesus, these stories are both at a particular time and place, and they are timeless. Always for our time. So what do these stories say to us today? 
Certainly, we still need healing. And as in Jesus' time, our healing is holistic. We may need physical healing, but we are complex beings, all interwoven. We are psychosomatic, social, spiritual beings. In other words, we may desire healing for a physical illness, but the injury or the illness may affect us emotionally, or mentally, or spiritually, or communally. This was something Jesus certainly understood, and the Jewish sense of a person was holistic, as opposed to their neighbors, um, Greek-speaking uh, Christians, but those before Christianity, who leaned more into a dualistic view of the human person, body sort of versus mind or soul. I wonder if during the pandemic, we didn't have a, a, a sense of this sort of presented to us. There were really two pandemics going on in many places. One was COVID and the other was the pandemic of loneliness, of being isolated, of despair. Both, of course, called for healing. Jesus restores the girl to her family. Her community is healed. Jesus heals the bleeding woman and restores her to her community. So our prayers for healing are often for emotional healing, communal healing, physical healing, mental healing, all of the above at the same time. And as the sacrament of the anointing of the sick has been restored in our churches over the past 40 to 50 years, we saw a shift even in that time from a prayer language that was uh, very much focused on physical healing and now is a broader plea for a holistic healing. And I think as we moved through this restoration, the sense of holistic healing includes spiritual healing at its heart, affecting all the parts of our person or of our people. In our own church's expansion of rites and prayers with the sick, we have a series of supplements to the uh, Book of Common Prayer, which you may be familiar with. We often pray from the first volume. This is from the second volume, and it's focused on ministry with the sick. And this is what the authors of the resource say in their introduction. Healing must never be seen as an end in itself. Scripture teaches us that Jesus' healing were a sign of the reign of God come near, of God's marvelous power and presence among us. So healing is not merely the alleviation of affliction, but testimony to the wholeness and salvation God intends for us. This is one part of the recognition that spiritual healing is central to our holistic selves. To be spiritually healed is on a continuum with salvation. In the Greek that the Gospels ended up getting written in, whenever Jesus pulls someone up, lifts them up, he is also raising them. <coughs> to be healed is to be saved. It's the same word, 
raising up always shows us a glimpse of the kingdom of God, begun but not yet complete. And the spiritual dimension of healing also involves forgiveness. Forgiveness from God and mutual forgiveness of each other. Now I started off by sharing the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And here, I think we must tread very carefully after centuries of misunderstandings. In Jesus' time, the culture around him assumed that sickness was a punishment from God because of personal sin. Jesus himself disputes that. Our church disputes that today. In Lent, we heard the story of the man born blind. And the disciples at the beginning of that story asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. You really have the wrong end of the stick here. This is about proclaiming the greatness of God. But if we are seriously sick, his holistic means, our spiritual health is also affected. If we are emotionally ill, our spirit lags. And we have for too long seen the forgiveness of sins, spiritual healing, as a sort of tale of crime and punishment with God as the judge. What so many stories of Jesus healing communicate to us is that God is the great physician, not just the judge. It is about healing, not punishment. It is about mercy, not just separation. You know that our prayer book contains two forms of reconciliation, private confession. I hope you have found those rites comforting. At the end, the priest says, the Lord has put away all your sins. Abide in peace and pray for me, a sinner. All of us are sinners. All of us are beloved of God. All of us are called to forgive one another. All of us are in need of healing. All of us are complex, holistic beings made in the image of God. Know that God forgives and be merciful and compassionate to one another as God is to all of us.